Families and businesses across the West are feeling the burden of high energy costs, especially in California, where electricity rates are the third highest in the country. At the same time, we're dealing with the effects of extreme weather and climate change. This means more demand on our grid from hotter temperatures and colder temperatures, leaving us with big bills, blackouts, and sometimes both. In fact, California has had more blackouts than any other state over the last two decades, and in 2022 alone, the state accounted for almost 25% of all power outages nationwide. So what can policymakers do to make our energy more reliable and more affordable? How can California build an energy grid for the future? We'll talk about a potential three-letter solution to our state's power woes coming up on this episode of Getting to Know RTO. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. My name is Amisha Rai, and I'm Vice President of Policy and Advocacy at Advanced Energy United. I'm really excited to share that with us today is Mona Tierney-Lloyd. She is head of U.S. Public Policy at Enel North America. Mona is a leading thought partner on energy issues, and we can always count on her to provide a very constructive and sound industry take. And I personally have enjoyed working with her over the years and hearing her perspective on a variety of issues. Given her purview at Enel, I really wanted to bring her in to talk to us about what the energy grid of the future looks like. Mona has insight into how regional markets work across the country, and I'm hoping she can share some lessons learned from these experiences and how California and the rest of the West can innovate and do better. Mona, thanks for joining us today. Hi, Amisha. Great to be with you. So, Mona, let's get right into it. You've been working in and around California and around the West for for many years now, um, and I I really want to get your take on what you're seeing happen in the West, and particularly what keeps you up at night when it comes to our electricity system. Well, um, I would say the thing that keeps me up at night is reliability and making sure that we have adequate supply to meet our growing demand, not only in California, but throughout the West. And we've certainly had some close calls with this over the last couple of years. And it really highlighted how much we rely upon our Western partners whenever California's resources are constrained and demand is spiking. And also just the number of heat events that we've had and cold events and rain events and wildfires, just showing the unpredictability of the climate that we're in and how reliant we are upon energy to get us through those events. Yeah, I mean, it's it has been remarkable to see how fast things have shifted in the West. It started with some very tragic wildfire events in California, but then over the span of a few years, we we saw similar events in, in other parts of the West, and it's happening more often. It is really now more of a regional issue versus just a just a state issue. I want to talk a little bit about sort of what we're hearing a lot about in California and Sacramento. And I think given a lot of what, what you just mentioned, right, the, the need to ensure we have reliability when it comes to our electricity system and that we can keep the lights on, there has been increased conversation around this concept of regionalization and, and to really build an RTO 
or regional transmission organization in the West to ensure that we can have better deliverability of energy across the region. What do you think an RTO or regionalization could do specifically for California? So one of the things that I think a regional grid could do for California is to create some more formalized pathways for delivery of electricity into California when it's needed the most, but also to provide California with pathways for delivering energy outside of California whenever we're producing more electricity than we can consume. And from an efficiency perspective, being able to exchange electricity to other parts of the West when we are over-resourced or or bringing electricity into California when we are under-resourced is an economically more efficient way of transferring electricity between regions. It means that you don't have to overbuild any one particular system because you can rely on resources in other parts of the West and that you can share those resources when it makes the most sense across that system. So there's an economic efficiency that I think is really beneficial to California. And I would say the other part of this is for California to join together with these other states and look at how we can develop the infrastructure, which is transmission, to bring that electricity from the places where it's generated to the places where it's consumed. And just by the nature of each state only looking at its own resource needs and not uh, looking at what a regional need would look like and cooperating with each other and building something that makes the most economic sense and, and would be the most efficient solution. You just allow for electricity transfer to happen, again, just so much more efficiently and economically. And if we don't do that, we run the risk of overbuilding systems and increasing costs to consumers. So I want to dive into your answer a little bit. You talked about greater efficiency across the footprint or the West and cost savings for California because we won't be overbuilding the system. We're thinking about the transmission that needs to be built with our our regional partners. How much of this do we do already? We do import and export power today. So can you talk a little bit about how regionalizing improves that? What does it add in terms of that efficiency? I think the additive part has to do with the amount of growth of new resource development that we're forecasting, not only in California, but outside of California to meet state policy goals, but also to meet growing demand across the West. And you know, as I mentioned earlier, each state has their own planning processes that are specific to those states. And there is some regional coordination because California has been importing power from both the Northwest and the Southwest for decades. But at this point in time, building new points of interconnection is also a really important part of this growth trajectory that we see in the West. And other states are looking at that too. So the growth of those transmission lines into California 
we haven't been planning for this greater interconnectivity in the rest of the West that we are going to need to meet these new policy goals. And California has a 100% clean goal in statute. Many other states, five other states, have similar goals to California in terms of 100% clean, which certainly has forced this conversation and and this focus on planning and, and making things more efficient you, you talked a little bit about the need for new transmission, more interconnection, really finding new points of interconnection for this new growth to meet sort of the forecasts that all of these states are, are foreseeing in terms of new renewable capacity or increased renewable capacity. What are you seeing in terms of opportunity for growth of the clean energy sector, opportunity in terms of infrastructure build out? And from your perspective, what does that mean for jobs? So this is an extraordinary opportunity for new job growth in California and across the West. And just in the energy sector alone, the amount of investment that is going to need to be made in order to meet these clean policy goals is unlike anything we've ever seen in the history of energy and electricity in the United States. It's phenomenal. And there are actually concerns about having enough of a trained workforce just to be able to meet these targets. 100 gigawatts of new generating capacity, a phenomenal number. The amount of transmission, even intrastate, we need about $30 billion of new transmission developed. If you talk about battery energy storage deployment, if you talk about electric vehicle charging needs, the amount of employment opportunity associated directly with the energy industry is just going to be astronomical. It's an exciting time. It's going to be creating growth opportunities over decades. The only question is making sure we can get that workforce ready to be deployed to meet the moment. So a a, a big ambitious agenda is going to require a strong plan to get there, as well as ensuring that we have the workforce to get there, because there's going to be plenty of work in California, based on what you're saying, as well as uh, across the West. So huge opportunity. And I want to get back to sort of what we started with, because working to better understand how regionalizing or working with the rest of the West can both benefit California, ensure we keep the lights on, but also that we're thinking about how to create something unique for the West, right? How do we ensure we're regionalizing and aligning with state goals, which many of our our states in the West are working toward 100% clean, and that we are taking the best practices from elsewhere. Mona, you you know far more about regional markets than, than I do and sort of how they work in the rest of the country. Can you, for our listeners, provide your thoughts and perspective on what the best practices are as California launches into this conversation with the rest of the West? So I would say California and the West are in a wonderful position to be able to look at what other markets have done. You know, a lot of these markets that have developed in the Eastern Interconnect have been around for decades and they've grown and they've changed and modified over the years as well. 
But primarily in the Eastern interconnect, you have markets that were developed primarily around utilities as the primary buyers and sellers in those markets. And now we have an opportunity to create a market that's at a different point in time in terms of technology deployment and development. The types of resources that we are connecting to the grid today, you know, a lot of new clean energy development that at the time the markets were developed in the East were not the predominant resources. They were primarily fossil fuel resources. So we can approach the development of this market with that in mind, particularly with the states that have clean energy goals. So that's one aspect that's very different. And not just for utility scale generation, but also for distributed resources. And over the last 15 years or so, we've seen the Eastern Interconnect incorporate distributed resources and demand response and energy efficiency, and now looking at electric vehicle charging. So the nature of the grid today as being something that is bi-directional. Mona, can you explain to our listeners what what you mean by bi-directional? So consumers historically in the past, just based on that moniker, have taken electricity off of the grid, but now have the ability to also be a resource to the grid. And some of that could be through demand response by lowering consumption or demand at certain points of time when the grid is stressed. It could be hopefully in the not too distant future with vehicle to grid integration, where you have the ability for batteries, electric vehicle batteries to be able to discharge at certain points in time or to only charge when it isn't putting additional stress on the grid. You have distributed batteries that also have that ability to charge and discharge. So there's a lot of additional consumer-sided resources that could be used as a, a grid resource and provide supply and reliability at certain times. So the nature of the grid has changed significantly. So these are elements that should be taken into account when developing a new Western RTO and thinking about who are the participants in the market? How can we give those participants a voice in terms of making decisions that would affect the operation of the grid? How those participants could vote? You know, voting is part of most RTO structures, having different member classifications and how you put those classifications together. So that's something just in looking at the way that markets have developed in the East, again, with the history that I had provided earlier with primarily utility membership and only fossil fuel interests, looking at this more diverse community that's going to be part of the electricity network and giving that some consideration in terms of how decisions are made. Having independent a governance system so that self-interested parties are not in charge of making governance decisions about how the RTO operates. And that gives everyone more faith that this is a fair and equitable system. And just making sure that access to the market is fair and equitable that there aren't any barriers that are created that disadvantage one certain resource class over another resource class. 
And FERC ultimately would be looking at how those structures are developed and making sure that the ultimate goal of having an open and transparent system is there and the right governance structure is there and the right market monitoring is there. But of course, all of that would be done in cooperation with the states and whatever oversight the states decide is in their best interests as well. A lot of these markets also have state advisory boards that are involved in the governance process as well that provide input to the governance team. So there's a lot of opportunity for cooperation between the federal government as well as the state governments. So if I were to sum up, I mean, you just gave such a a good 101 on RTOs across the country and sort of what your observations are. Robust stakeholder process with increased access to participate, ensuring there's independence in terms of the governance structure, making sure that they're limiting barriers to entry, and also ensuring that the structure, the RTO, is recognizing the value of the various technologies that contribute to the system, whether that's on the demand side, distributed, as well as the large-scale resources that we know we have to ensure there's flexibility around. So a lot of really good points in terms of what should be front and center as the West thinks about the design of a market and sort of what governance could look like. You mentioned this a little bit in terms of the risk of not moving this conversation forward. And the risk of California not engaging with the rest of the West in a larger way. A number of years back when this discussion was happening inside Sacramento, there were a number of concerns that were raised in terms of California's renewable goals were much you know, stronger than neighboring states. The concern over governance and, and whether the state would have to give up control over its policies if it works with the rest of the region. We're now in a situation in a landscape where six states, including California and the West now have 100% clean goals. And there is certainly from a market perspective, you can see a focus on getting to cleaner energy, right? Economically, it is cost competitive. There is a focus among the states to at least increase capacity in terms of uh, renewable resources. There is greater alignment around those goals. But concerns remain and persist around the potential for increased market manipulation. We hear the word Enron tossed around a lot by folks that have raised concerns around regionalization. Can you talk a little bit about that in terms of exposure to market manipulation? If we regionalize the grid, if California works with the rest of the West, Does that open us up to increased risk in terms of market manipulation and an energy crisis? So market manipulation is is something that an RTO will have direct oversight of through an independent market monitor. So there's going to be someone whose exclusive job is to make sure that there aren't players that are manipulating the market and taking advantage of the market and exercising market power. So that's one thing. The other is that in addition to the fact that the landscape in the West relative to clean energy has changed significantly since 
the last time we had this conversation about regionalization. We're also in a different position in terms of risk management within the state of California than we were during the energy crisis. And one of the biggest differences is that at that point in time, there was a significant portion of the energy that was purchased that was purchased through a spot market mechanism. And we no longer purchase electricity in that manner. We have balanced portfolios of different varying lengths of contracting so that we're not forcing everything into a spot market. The other thing is that we talk about what are the risks of moving into a regional transmission organization, but there are risks of not doing it as well. So part of what I see as a potential risk is this lack of regional cooperation to ensure the reliability of the entire West, of which California is a significant part of that. And you can look at the Western Electric Coordinating Council, who's doing analysis about the likelihood of outages throughout the West without increasing the amount of capacity that we have online and connecting that capacity to load and just looking at the increase in demand and the variability of demand. All of those things are better managed across a wider area than looking at a more narrow focus. So from a reliability perspective, I think we're at greater risk if we don't integrate and we don't cooperate and we don't find those efficiencies of building new transmission lines and sharing electricity across that broader footprint when it makes more sense to do that. Otherwise, I'm afraid the risk is just increased costs to consumers in California significantly as the largest load center in the Western United States. And then just also looking at the practicality of land use and land use restrictions and what's available to us to build to meet those needs. And just looking at having access to a broader footprint across the West again, because most people will say we can't build everything in California. We can build a large percentage of that capacity in California, but we can't build it all. So we would be forfeiting meeting our own goals without building a regional network. Thank you for that, Mona. And that, that point on the land use constraints here in California and the need to also leverage sort of out-of-state resources was also made by Michael Wara, who's with Stanford, um, in a previous podcast episode. So I'm certainly hearing an alignment of perspectives on that front as well. You know, we're we're closing in on the, the end of this podcast, but I wanted to just get your last thoughts or closing thoughts on what would you like to see from California leaders? this year? What assurances would you like to see from the California legislature that California isn't going to go it alone, that we are going to work with the rest of the West? I definitely think serious consideration of the legislation before the legislators is, is important. And it, it's an important signal to send to the rest of the West 
that California is giving serious consideration to Western cooperation and coordination. And I'll also say that absent that kind of signal, I know there's a lot of voices out there that think that we can take our time and we can delay consideration of this now. And there are consequences to delay. And we have another entity that operates an RTO in the center of the country, the Southwest Power Pool, that is making very deliberate and I would say aggressive strides in the Western interconnect and is creating some real tension in the West about which model is ultimately going to prevail, whether it's a Cal ISO model or whether it would be an SPP model. There are many in the West that are pessimistic that California can make a decision to move toward a regional organization. And if that pessimism bears out, then many of the utilities and the states will consider SPP to be a more viable option. And the, the shame of that from a California perspective is that California was the first ISO in the Western Interconnect and has been there for 25 years, has a lot of experience with operating a, a, an ISO, an independent system right. operator, and has made great strides in cooperation with uh, regional partners through the energy imbalance market, which they've operated since 2014 and have provided $3 billion worth of benefits. And the work that the California ISO has done to expand that footprint to include other services like an enhanced stay ahead market, which is underway right now. So all of that effort and all of that experience and all of that investment that California has made in developing those resources could be blunted by not taking action to show that California is interested in cooperating with the Western partner and ceding that position of leadership to the Southwest Power Pool. A very thoughtful closing answer. And I, what I'm hearing from you is a sense of urgency for a signal from California to the rest of the West and the need to move quickly to ensure that California is ready and willing to, to work with its neighbors. I just want to thank you, Mona, for spending the time with me and the rest of our listeners on today's podcast. You've given us a lot of insights and stuff to think about as we launch into this conversation here in California and leaders grapple with the state of our energy grid and future in Sacramento. Thank you for joining. And my name is Amisha Rai, and you've been listening to Getting to Know RTO. Thanks so much, and we'll catch you next time. Getting to Know RTO is edited and produced by Advanced Energy United. You can subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And don't forget to turn on automatic downloads to get the latest episodes as soon as they're aired.